I told you I wasn't going to go and watch that movie because I said I don't think I'd be able to cope with it. But I went last Sunday on my own. And like that, you can feel overwhelmed. You just can feel overwhelmed at the enormity of... You kind of come out of a movie like that just wanting to... What can I do, Lord? You know, it, it's so overwhelming. And I was reminded of... Do you ever hear the story of all of the starfish that were laid up on the beach? And somebody said, how are we going to... All these million, how are we going to save all of these? And they said, one at a time. One at a time. So it's whoever God puts in your path. And one at a time, you can, it's doable and it's yes. So I was in the airport this morning at half two. Am I shouting? No, you're not. I'm not shouting. Sure. You can't hear me enough. <laughs> hold on to your horses. Um, yeah, so I was in the airport this morning at half two, um, picking up my son on a delayed flight, Ryanair. And um, so this could be the first morning that the preacher actually puts themselves to sleep. <laughs> so if I bother you, you can, you can give me a dig or whatever. But anyway, um, yeah, hopefully I'll be all right. Um, yeah. So, oh, 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 oh. Is he all right? Yeah, yeah, he's fine. I'll try to scream louder. <laughs> But anyway, um, I was listening to a sermon a couple of weeks ago, and it was a Bill Johnson sermon, and in the middle of the sermon anyway, um, he made a comment about uh, a walled city without gates is not safe. And did you ever just hear something and then uh, you're, you're, reading, you're going through scriptures and you're seeing things about gates? Um, so that was kind of what I was saying. Um, and the Bible kind of itself... Uh, records that city gates were used in various ways and um, the gates were seats of authority and we see that in in the book of Ruth, you know that even people were given in marriage you know at the gates and um, wisdom was uttered at the gates you know you read in in the book of proverbs where you know where it says that you know at the gateways of the city you know she brought forth her speech you know wisdom was uttered at the gates and um, judges and officers served at the gates administering justice you read that in Deuteronomy 16, verse 18. And the councils of state were held at the gates. The word of God was read at the gates. You read that in, in, in the account of that in Nehemiah. And, and the prophets proclaimed God's message at the gates. And from the gates, the people also entered into worship. So they had to go through the gates to enter into worship. Um, this is what it says. It says, Stand at the gate of the Lord's house, and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. So gates in the natural are something that we enter through. And also, in the, the same as said, in the spiritual. Um, every person has gates to their souls, their, 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 you know, and their, their bodies and their spirits. Um, and as the walls of the gates of Jerusalem are attacked by the enemy of, God, of God's people, so will the enemy try and attack your gates the gates of your soul, your body, your spirit. The city gates were shut tight at night and there were gatekeepers that were appointed to watch the coming and going of those gates. Um, and we also need to be careful, you know, what, what we open the gates of our own souls up to and, and our bodies up to. Um, one of Jesus' reference to himself was, I am the gate. He said, I am the gate. No one can enter into a relationship with the Father except through me. And as surely as there is a gateway to heaven, there's also a counterfeit gateway to hell. Um, you know, when Jesus was establishing Peter's identity and his calling, he said, you are Peter, 
And he said, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Violence and destruction will devastate the city of God. You know, and in Isaiah uh, 68, it says, no longer will these things be heard in your land. You will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Mm-hmm. Salvation is what God has done for us. Praise is what we do for God. Mm-hmm. Um, we praise him for what he has done for us, but we also praise him for who he is. We praise him for his attributes and his character. One of the interesting things we read in the book of Ezra is that before the restoration of the walls of the city, because we know that the, the, the city of Jerusalem was devastated, the people of God were brought into captivity, and when they came back under the leadership of the, you know, the prophets, um, some of the prophets that were bringing the people back, but before they restored the walls and the gates, what they actually did was they restored the altar where the sacrifices could be, could be brought. Um, we read here uh, after that, where after the walls and gates were restored, we read in Nehemiah 12, 43, it says that, and on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing, because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Um, so what happens when we bring our praise to the gates? You know, this is, this, I kinda, this is what I want to kind of focus on. What happens? when we actually bring our praise to the gates. The Bible tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. So the gates of praise and when we praise, it's, it's an opportunity, if you like, for God to reveal his glory. It's a place of divine encounter, a place where God dwells. You know, he inhabits the praises of his people. He says he loves the gates of Zion. And Zion can be a metaphor for the church. Um, to bring your praises, as I said, to the gates is an invitation for God to uh, reveal his glory. Um, Psalm 24, 7 to 10 says, um, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And you can assume that if you're, if, if you're being asked to lift up your heads, then it's, that it's from a place of being bowed down. You know, lift up your heads. Why would you have to lift up your head if it's bowed down? And do you ever see people just walking around with their heads bowed down? You know, what does it do when your head is bowed down? Well, it impairs your vision, first of all. You know, you can't see clearly. You can't see what's around you. Um, All you can see is the ground. You know, all you can see is your problems. All you can see is your situation. All you can see is your grief, your betrayal, your disappointment. You know, they're the things that you can see. But so much opportunity is missed from this position. Um, in Psalm 4, verse 3, it says, But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. And I was thinking of the story of Elisha and the servant. And when they went out to fight this battle, all the servant could see was the army that surrounded them and the army that was coming against them. And Elisha prayed to God and he said, Lord, open his eyes. Open the eyes of the servant. And, uh, and he said, don't be afraid. Those that are with us are more than those that are with them. You know, and he said that when the servant's eyes were opened, what he could see was the hills filled with these chariots of fire around Elisha. You know, this is, this is what he could see. And I also heard somebody saying recently in, a, in another sermon that I was listening to, uh, even if you're only one, you're never in the minority with God. 
if you're even if you feel like you're standing alone, you're always in the majority with God. Um, Billy Graham, I was uh, reading a book on him one time as well on, on, on angels. And he was saying that there was a school that was being attacked and there was this woman in the school with her, with the, her pupils. And it was being attacked by these people coming in to, to God only knows what they were going to do. And um, it was in a country where violence was rife. And this woman got on her knees and prayed and praised the Lord in the situation. And when these people came towards the school to turn back, and when they went back and they were asked, why did you turn back? And they said, who was the army that was around the school? God had placed an army around school. We don't know when you're praying and praising. You don't know what, what's going on in the heavens. We're not just here singing songs, nice words, making denials, and because we like the melody of a song or you like the words of a song. There's something else happening in your, in your prayers. There's something very powerful and supernatural happening when you choose to praise God and bring your prayer to the gates. This is where your gates get protected because this is an opportunity for God to speak you know, God speaks often out of these places of praise. Um, okay. So why do we praise God? And why do we praise him the way we do? I found this interesting. I was doing a little kind of study on this. And in the English language, there's only one word for praise. But the Jewish people praise God in many ways. And each had a different word. And it, and it meant something. <coughs> the most common word for praise was halal. And this word means to shine. Listen to what it means when you're singing praise to God. It means to shine, to boast, to raise, to celebrate, to act clamorously foolish in praise. Um, and it's the root word for hallelujah, which it, we, you know, when we sing hallelujahs, and that is a, a combination of halal and Yahweh. You know, when Yahweh was the most intimate name for God. Um, yeah, so it implies shining a spotlight on God for others to see, for others to see, and wildly praising him to the point of acting foolishly. Again, I was thinking about David. You know, when David came back from the victory and he was going up the street and he was, he was praising God, he was lifting up everything he had and he was going for it anyway. His wife was watching him from the window mortified. It's like, what's wrong with him? Like, boy, he was, no, he was there and he said, I will act even more undignified than this. I'm praising God here. We we had a great victory, you know what I mean? And yeah. Um, Another word for praise is tahila. And that was when they exited, when the people were leaving Egypt. And, uh, you know, they were playing musical instruments and they were shouting uh, uh, words of praise unto God and lifting hands in praise. Um, This is not an exhaustive list. I only picked out a few. Yada is another word, and that is to throw out a hand and, uh, to worship with, with extended hand, to lift the hands or to cast out. Yoda is similar. You know, both words illustrate praising God with our hand outstretched in acknowledgement of his worthiness. You know, when we're singing songs and we're singing, throw out my hand, praise you again and again, you know, we do, like, it means something. There's something happening, there's something going on. Um, Shabak is another word and that is to shout and it's a shout of victory and if you can remember the story of Joshua you know God did a very interesting thing with Joshua when he was facing Jericho you know I think sometimes when we think of the walls of a city we think that you know maybe they're I don't know what we think but they they weren't easy walls to, to break through 
the chariots were able to go around on the tops of the walls. They were huge, these city walls, and very hard to, to break into them. And what God did with Joshua's army at the time and with the soldiers, he said to Joshua, circumcise your men. H. He said, circumcise your men. So what did he do? He took the fight out of them. And he said, march around the city. Worship. You weren't just walking around. There were, the worshippers were out in front of them. They were singing. They were praising. And give up a shout on the seventh day. And the strongholds of the city fell. The walls just fell. So again, you know, we don't know what we're doing when you're, you know, when, you're, when you're going out and you're praising, when you're prayer walking, when you're singing, when you don't know what's coming down. You don't know what needs to come down. Strongholds fall. You know, God knows what he's doing. You know, I thought it was the strangest thing taking the fight out of the man. But he said, no, he said, I want you to walk around and worship and praise me and watch what I can do. Um, and yes, and in the, another word similar to Shabak is Ruah, and that means it's a shouting, a joyful noise, and a battle cry. Battle cry. Um, Psalm 47, verse 1 to 2 says, Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph, for the Lord Most High is awesome. Um, Barak is another word. This is the last one. Um, and that means kneeling in prayer. And it means to bless God as an act of adoration. Um, we engage in Barak when we assume a physical posture in humility of his overwhelming grace. I was actually thinking of Jason Neif, um, when I was looking at that um, because I often find that he, that's a position that he, Jason often takes his shoes off and kneels in church and I was thinking that's what he's doing. He's, he's, he's positioning himself in a humble position, you know, in adoration of God's overwhelming grace. Um, Paul talks about it at times, you know, in the prayers in Ephesians when he says, I kneel before the Father. Um, Psalm 95, verse 6 and 7 says, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his, of his pasture, the flock under his care. Um, praise is not just something we do when we're together here. It, it should be a, a, a part of our everyday life, I believe. But I have to say, if I'm honest, which is up here, you know, sometimes when you're standing up here, you can look like, you, you know, I do thank God. And this is not a false humility, by the way. But I do thank God that he uses imperfect people. Um, and I feel that it's one of the things that maybe I have really neglected in my walk with God is this ability or to bring in praise into me every day um, walk with him. I feel that I, ha I talk to God. I bring my requests to him. I bring me questions to him. Very seldom do I bring my prayers, unless I'm together maybe with other, you know, I, I, I very seldom do that, and I really felt convicted of that, you know, I kind of felt that, you know what, um, prayers is, is, is a battle cry <coughs> for our family, you know, when we're on our own, it's a witness to others, and it's also an antidote for depression, you know, it says in Psalm 61, he gave us beautiful ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and a garment of praise for his spirit of heaviness. And I remember one time going into church, it was years ago, and I was going into St. Mark's, and I remember, uh, I didn't know whether to throw myself under a train or throw myself into the lippy, I was kind of thinking, and that's the way I went in. And I remember we were singing a song, and, and one of the songs that they were singing, I just kind of said, okay, I just kind of was singing the song, and it was Majesty, I can but bear, I give my all before you now, in royal robes, I don't deserve, I live to serve your majesty. 
And that, I actually felt those robes going over me. I actually felt the garment of praise. I felt it lifted. And there was something, it was very real, you know, and, and it is very real. And also, as I said, being a witness to others, you know, I've come into church before and I've known some of the things that people have gone through. And to sit in a, in a pew and watch other people praising God in the midst of all of that has strengthened my faith and has made God real to me. Very, very real to me. And it has strengthened my faith. And I know people in this fellowship that have gone through so much and I have seen them coming in and praising and worshipping God. And that, uh, to me, is, has been... It's just in, really incredibly uh, um, strengthened my faith. Um... I believe that thankfulness and worship and praise are all kind of interlinked. I do think that they're interlinked. Um, you know, when it says, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart and I will enter his courts with praise. Um, why is it hard sometimes to praise? You know, it says in the Psalms as well, um, sacrifice thank offerings to God. Why would be saying thank you to God be a sacrifice? Why is it a sacrifice, you know? And... I think, you know, when we come to God with our disappointment, with our pain, with our loss, you know, why did my life not turn out the way I thought it was going to? And, you know, you bring these things to God. And I think it's especially when we know that God can change every circumstance. God can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And, you know, we're coming and we're bringing these things to God. And, and, and often when you think of gates, you know the way some people talk about the gates of heaven being the pearly gates? And pearls are a very precious, very precious thing. But how are they formed? How are pearls formed? Friction. Pain. That's how pearls, you know, are, are formed. And one of the amazing things that, about praise is that, you know, it's only this side of heaven that we actually get to bring a sacrifice of praise to God. A praise that cost us something. Praise is going to be easy in heaven, you know, because there's no pain there, there's no sorrow there. Um, you know, it says joy and gladness will overtake us. Um, you know, these are the things that, you know, it, it says God himself will wipe the tears from every eye. A praise will be easy in heaven. But it's here. It's here that we get to bring a sacrifice of praise to God. Um, often we come, as I said before, God with our questions rather than our praise. And I think God's okay with our questions as well. Um, but rather asking the question, why? You know, why God did this happen? Why did that not happen? Or whatever else. Sometimes I don't even know whether getting the answers to those questions helps us. I don't know. Sometimes there is no answers to them. You know. But I believe that there is a very important question that we can answer. And... That is, is God worthy of our praise? That's a question. Psalm 34, it says, I will extol the Lord when all things are gone right for me. Is that what says? No. It says, I will extol the Lord at all times. At all times. Um, and even though sacrificing thank offerings is painful at times, the scripture says it opens the way for salvation. Um, David understood from hard times, that the hard times that he went through, he learned character and perseverance, you know, his pain had a purpose. You know, there's some things that you can only learn through pain and suffering, you know, it, it, you just can't, it, the mountain top stuff is easy, you know, when you're on the top of the mountain it's all easy, and, but not when you're 
you know, when you're going through stuff. And he said in Psalm 119, it was good for me to be afflicted. You know, the one that, you know, God doesn't leave stuff out of this book. You know, he doesn't, it's not all nice. You know, some of the stuff is hard. And when you come to some of the books in it, it's hard to look at. And one of the stories I find really difficult, you know, to <laughs> relate to is Job. You know, the book of Job. And the very first chapter of Job, when Job got the news that his ten children were gone. And then the next verse it says that he fell to the ground in worship after receiving that news. That's what he did. He fell to the ground in worship. And he said, the Lord give it, the Lord take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, in the, in, and, and as you go on in that book, he says things about prayers. He, said, he says that though he slay me, yet will I praise him. In other words, if it kills me, I'm going to praise God. If it kills me, I'm going to praise him. Um, he thought he knew God. And, and when God spoke to, to Job, I believe in my heart of hearts it would be through the prayers. This is where God inhabits the praises of his people. This is the opportunity for him to speak. You know, and it's usually, this is tough to pray. If it kills me, I'm going to praise. And out of that, being willing to say, you get, you, God gave it, God take it away. God speaks to him out of that. And it can seem harsh. You know, God's response to Job can seem harsh. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And I, oh yeah, it's almost like he's bragging about himself. Like, you know, huh, take it easy on him, God. Like, you know, and... But basically, I think what, what, what God was doing was, Job, I know stuff that you don't. I'm God. Trust me. You know what I mean? Like, I know what I'm doing. You know, at the end of the story, we know that, that he repents in, in dust and ashes, it says, you know. And, um, and God gives him a double portion of everything. God blesses him, gives him a double portion of everything, except a double portion of his children. He gave him ten more children. And he said, there's also ten in heaven that you're going to see again. You know, it's an incredible story, really. Um, where should I put that now? Yeah. I don't know what I'm at to do in there, but heaven ever. A. W. Tozer puts it like this. He says, assume nothing about God. He says, he is unknowable, unsearchable, unapproachable. He lives in unapproachable light. And all that we know about him is what he's revealed to us. You know, and, uh, yeah, I was kind of thinking, whatever you have come in with this morning, you know, whatever stuff you have, when you bring it to the gates of praise, it's a place of divine encounter. This is the place where God can meet with you. And, Bill Johnson, when he preached his first sermon after his wife passed away, there was thousands and thousands of people praying for that woman. People in the hospital praying around the clock morning, noon and night for her, and she died. And when he preached his first sermon after that, I was more than impressed. And the first thing he said was, God owes me nothing, is what he said. God owes me nothing. And um, God owes us nothing, but he's given us everything. Um, Tozer says, you know, God can be experienced only in the heart that creates the atmosphere of praise and worship and adoration. God can be experienced only in the heart that creates the atmosphere of praise and worship. I think 
David was onto something, you know, and, and one of the first things that David did when he, when he became king was he brought the ark back and he, um, and he established through Asaph and the, the worship leaders and the musicians 24-7 worship around the ark. Um, and uh, it was incredible, really, what he did. Um, yeah. So he said he had, this is some, some of the stuff that I, that I just wrote down from what I was kind of studying about this. And it says he had 288 singers and musicians whose sole job was to worship the Lord before the ark. There were 24 <coughs> worship teams, imagine that now, 24 worship teams with 12 members each who served the Lord in this manner. This worship and prayer was the centerpiece of his government and the nation of Israel for the entirety of Israel. You read that in 1 Chronicles 25, 6 and 7. The number of singers and musicians ultimately grew to 4,000. And think about the implications of having a governmental emphasis on worship and prayer. This is how cities are won. This is how cities are won, how towns are won. A governmental emphasis on worship and prayer. It was in this place of worship that the majority of the Psalms of David were written. Um, David's tabernacle started a new order of worship that didn't previously exist in the church, um, on the earth even. God gave David the vision to match the throne room in heaven with ceaseless worship on earth. It was truly on earth as it is in heaven. This is what I, this is really interesting. He said, we have not comprehended the level of dynamic spiritual activity that took place in the tabernacle of David. The glory of God dwelt in plain sight above the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. And as the singers and musicians sang and worshipped in the beauty of the Lord's glory, there was an incredible spirit of revelation manifest in that place. David rightly said, I will meditate on your glorious splendour and on your wondrous works. He would sit before the ark of the Lord and as the spirit of revelation would break forth, he would slip into prophetic sight. It was in these um, encounters that he would prophesy of Jesus' crucifixion, we read that in Psalm 22, and resurrection in Psalm uh, 16, and of the fullness of his reign and kingdom in Psalm 2. Even when the temple was built, Solomon uh, instructed that the worship in the temple should be in accordance with the Davidic order of worship. That was in Second Chronicles. Jehoshaphat defeated Moab and Ammon by setting singers. Sent the wo- they went out to war and battle and sent the worship teams out ahead of them. What was, that? What was going on there like? Um, and it said that, that he sent out the singers and uh, set them up in accordance with the Davidic order. He reintroduced Davidic worship in the temple. Joash did the same under his leadership. Hezekiah cleansed and uh, re-consecrated the temple and reinstituted the Davidic order of worship. Josiah reinstituted the Davidic order of worship. Ezra and Nehemiah, returning from Babylon, reinstituted the Davidic order of, uh, order of worship. Each time this order of worship was reintroduced, spiritual breakthrough, deliverance, and military victory followed. You know, as I said, it's not just about singing songs and walking around, you know, picking songs that we like, or, you know, there's actually something happening in the heavenly realms that we cannot comprehend and maybe and don't fully understand what, what, what's going on. I was thinking um, of Paul and Silas. You know, there was two people that were beaten within an inch of their lives in a prison in stocks, and they started to sing in the prison cell. 
and the sound of what they were singing reached the very throne room of God and every single prison door was opened and nobody moved. You ever wonder why they didn't move out of prison at right? The presence of God came so overwhelmingly on that place. What was going on there, like, you know? As I said, sometimes praise is a sacrifice. It can be hard. Um, but this is the only opportunity that we get to bring it before the Lord. Something that cost us something. You know, when life is hard, when it's tough, when things aren't going the way you thought they should go, you know, praise the Lord. Pray, worship the Lord. Is he worthy? You know, maybe we're asking the wrong questions when we're asking why did this happen, why did this not happen. The right questions are, is God worthy of your praise? And I guarantee you, I feel that every person can answer that in this room. Is God worthy of your praise this morning? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Um, and I don't really have anything else to say um, other than I know for, on a personal note that I actually need to reinstitute prayers in my everyday life, in my everyday walk with God. Um, this is the only opportunity that we're going to get to do it here when it's tough and when it's hard, because it will be easy to do when we're in heaven. And, um, and there is a purpose to your pain, there is a purpose to the stuff that you're going through here. But praise is an antidote, as I said, for depression. If you're feeling low this morning, praise yourself area your depression. You know, the Word of God says that that's what it does. There's a light, puts a lightness in your spirit when you do that. And, um, and it's a place of divine encounter. This is actually the place where God gets to speak, gets to heal, gets to touch your heart, gets to, you know, touch your mind, gets to, to break down those strongholds that maybe are surrounding your life. And, and it's in praise and worship that this happens. You know, there's a reason why we do this. When you're throwing up your hands, when you're kneeling before the, the Lord, when you're, you're shouting your hallelujahs from the rafters, there's something going on in the heavens that you don't know and don't understand. You don't know what you're breaking. You know, it's a war cry for your families. It's a war cry for your kids, for those of your family members that are maybe not saved. You know, when you're in praise for God and you're throwing up your hands, God hears, God inhabits the praises of his people. Um, it's a place where he dwells and yeah.